0: Like the greatest town,
1: like Welcome the greatest back. Town, Welcome like in. It is it, For The Boys now. Podcast, and I am your stand-in host for the week, Justin Stanley. I'm here with the one and only Dylan Meadows. Dylan, how we doing, brother?
0: I'm doing well, man. It is such a beautiful fall evening. Uh, my girlfriend and I just finished up with some lovely pizza. I have poured myself a glass of red wine. I'm feeling good and I cannot wait to record this podcast. Hell yeah, man. You got the good
1: vibes rolling with the red wine, getting yourself in the mood. In the mood to talk about some week 4 NFL action. We're we're without Rob this week as our listeners can tell, Rob is headed out of town. He's getting his life together, getting packed up, ready to go visit the boys in Memphis and uh you know, the inmates are running the asylum this week. It's you, it's me, and we're going to talk week 4 NFL. And I want to jump right into how the week started. I wouldn't say a big Thursday night matchup, but a fun one because of what they got at the quarterback position. You got the 2021 number one overall draft pick Trevor Lawrence going up against the 2020 number one overall draft pick Joe Burrow, two of the most, I would say in recent history, two of the most prolific college quarterbacks in quite some time. And they're going head to head for the first time in their young NFL careers and you know, hopefully the first time of many. But Dylan, what'd you, what did you think about this game, and how did you enjoy watching this game on Thursday night?
0: I enjoyed watching every bit of this game. Uh, my friend was playing a show, and it was really hard to uh, really just watch the entirety of the game, but thankfully uh, the show had a bunch of TV, so it was really easy for me to not only appreciate some uh, tremendous local artists, but also appreciate a very fun game to keep up with. Um, Justin, what I really liked about this game, as you kind of already put to it, um, we have two young emerging stars that are coming into the league and are trying to just make a name for themselves, however good or bad. And with this case, Joe Burrow comes out on the good side and Trevor Lawrence comes out on the bad. The, um, a few takeaways from this game. Uh, one, of them, one of my takeaways is the Jags were in control of this entire game. They had the aggressive mindset to get Trevor moving and be a playmaker. Uh, it was very Clemson style offense. You saw just within I mean just within the very first drive, you know, they're making these quick little throws to DJ Shark and LaVisha Chenault and just you know, trying to get the ball out of his hands and just let him just be a playmaker and let him just be um, you know, pretty much just the distributor that he needs to be to move the move the chains and, you know, have progression amongst the ball. Um, terrible news for DJ shark, uh, you know, with him possibly going down with a season, e- season ending injury, excuse me. <laughs> I guess the wine's already kicking in, but thankfully, uh, James Robinson was the one to step up and just, uh, it's, a, it's unfortunate for James Robinson too, because it seems as though they were riding him very early and then they just stopped and they just wanted the, the offense to be kind of centered more along with Trevor but Justin, you also saw that um, in case anyone didn't realize, um, momentum is a very real thing in the NFL. You can lose it very quickly. You can gain it back very quickly. It's very it's very hit or miss as far as what swing of the bat the momentum is going to swing to for you or for the opposing team. And for the Jaguars, I feel like for the most part, they controlled, again, the entirety of that game, even up, uh, unfortunately, to the very last second. But what was really interesting to me is that I feel like they lost a little bit of that momentum when they decided to go for it on fourth down while they're at the goal line to possibly go up 21-0. Unfortunately, they didn't get it, and I feel like that was kind of Cincinnati's way of kind of fighting back. Um, What I also took away from this game was, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence has now lost more games this year than his high school and college career combined. And he's only lost twice in his entire career when he's leading by double digits. Unfortunately, both of those times have been to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, it seems to be the fire to Trevor Lawrence's ice. Joe Burrow has better playmakers right now. You say what you want, Gainesville fans. But right now, Joe Burrow has a better coach, has a better system, better organization. I mean, Justin, I can go on. Uh, I My final takeaway from this game is, uh, man, like Joe Burrow is slinging it, man. He went 17 for 17 in the middle of the field, especially with the intermediate and uh, also like the 12 to 15-yard throws. And that final drive, when he said to Zach Taylor to put me in gun formation empty, and for our listeners that don't know what that is, that just means five offensive linemen with a quarterback that's just standing back there like a piece of steak, just dangling for some hungry dogs with no running back and no extra protection. But for some reason, as psychotic as Joe Burrow is, that's his favorite formation. And sure enough, he just goes right down the field, puts the Bengals in position to kick a game-winning field goal. It was awesome to watch. It's great to see Joe Burrow regaining that confidence, regaining that swagger that made him one of the most, if not the most prolific college football player in the entire country. You know, they're gaining – I mean, Justin, they're gaining swagger. They're 3-1. and And, I mean, right now they look like the best team in the AFC North.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think the AFC North is definitely a division that isn't what we what it used to be. I mean, last year was fun. The Browns kind of putting themselves on the scene. The Steelers were, you know, typically what they always are. They're kind of a threat here and there. This year, not so much. The Browns have been a little off, I guess you can say. The offense seems a little stale. Um, and the Ravens to me just continue to be a giant mystery. Um, but to me, there is no mystery in that. You know, the Bengals look tough. They look like a threat. I'm not saying they're world beaters. They're not going to go out. I don't see them beating teams like the Chiefs quite yet. But I like what they're building there. Um, I think, I think Cool Joe is earning that nickname. The man looks calm, cool, collected back there. Like you said, he asked Zach Taylor to dial up that play where he had no protection. You know, it was him, as you put it, like a dangling piece of meat out there, and he wanted it. He got it. And you know he put the team on on his back. Um, on the other side, I I like what I saw out of Jacksonville in terms of progression. I feel like the first half and really the first three quarters where they were in control most of that time. Trevor looked more confident. The team kind of was chugging along in the right direction. Um, obviously, the shark injury is tough that you you hate to see that. But Laviska's getting involved. Jay, James Robinson has proven that you know he earned those thousand yards he rushed for last year Um, he's proven to the coaching staff that he could do it again and I love to see that Um, I would love to see them complete games I would love Trevor to get that first W under his belt but you know there's a lot of crazy things going on in Jacksonville Um, hell next week Urban Meyer might not even be their head coach Um, that's a whole that's a whole nother deep dive into another podcast to be completely honest but at the end of the day I like what I saw out of both of these teams. I love the growth of these young quarterbacks moving in the right direction, improving why they were both taken number one in their respective drafts. And, you know, I can't wait to see them play each other for years to come. And like you said, building off of that uh, national championship loss that Trevor Lawrence had to Joe Burrow. So that's always fun, a nice little rivalry extending from college. Now what I want to do for you, we touched on the Thursday game. Let's flip to the end of the weekend. The Sunday scaries. I always get the, the heebie-jeebies when 60 minutes come on, you hear that tick. But I always know that Sunday night football, it's right around the corner. And this was a good one. We got the Bucks at New England. Tom Brady's big return to New England for the first time since leaving for the Bucs, since taking the Bucs to the Super Bowl. You know, with this one, I love I love how the New England fans greeted him the only way they should. That man deserved nothing but cheers and applause from the crowd. But once that whistle blew, they were ready for some action. They're diehard New England fans. They were booing Tom. It was fun. It was a fun game minus the weather. What did you think about this game, Dylan? Did, you, did it you know, stack up to what you thought it would be, Brady's big return? Or do you think the weather kind of you know, took it in the wrong direction?
0: As far as my anticipation of what this game was going to be, I was very disappointed. I was expecting Brady to try to contend for a 50-burger in this game. I mean, you had 20 years of built-up aggression towards not just an, not an organization and not an owner, but just one man. And unfortunately, that one man has a lot of say-so within the organization itself. But uh, I feel like that's another discussion on a totally different pod. Uh, Justin, my two main takeaways from this game are, one, it wasn't all Brady. You don't get to nine Super Bowls, win six without Bill. Brady did his thing. Bill did his thing. You saw the entire night a chess match between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Tom Brady had to earn every single completion against a Bill Belichick-led defense. Bill Belichick knew what he liked to call. He knew his favorite formations. He knew his favorite checks. He knew where he liked to place the ball. You even saw it a little bit in the stat line. He knew and was anticipating for the majority of the night what Brady wanted to do and where he was going to go with the ball. But at the end... Brady was the one that also showed that, hey, you can be a great coach and you can draw up as many plays as you want, but if you're a great quarterback, that kind of does take over just the slightest. And, you know, hey, Justin, realistically, all we need is that little extra. And, unfortunately, Tom Brady was that little extra that Bill Belichick needed to win Super Bowls. You know, he – and not only that, Pat's fans, Justin – they finally know what it's like to be on the losing side of Tom Brady. They know what it's finally like. And I, I speak this from the other 31 other fan bases. They finally know what it's like to see Tom Brady get the ball with very little time left, drive the ball right down the field, you know, chunk play after chunk play first down after first down second after second that just dwindles away. And you're just thinking there's no way he can do it. There's no way he can do it. There's no way. But as someone who has seen that and to watch Patriots fans just be like, we're going to stop him. It's we're going to stop him. They had no clue. They were not prepared for the heartache that Brady was about to give them as someone who is dating a Pats fan It was glorious to see. It was wonderful to see them upset. It was tremendous to see, you know, every one of them hurt. But then again, that's what it is. That's part of the game. They're just not used to that kind of losing. But Pats fans, do not worry because I say that coming up to softening the blow with my second big take from this game. Mac Jones... And Josh McDaniels, that's going to work in today's NFL. That is going to 100% work. That is going to thrive, because keep in mind, and for those that weren't paying attention to this stat line, Mac Jones against a, yes, a somewhat depleted Tampa Bay defense, but still a Devin White, Levante David, Vita Vey, Kinsu, Shaq, Shaquille Barrett-led defense, Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback, playing his fourth game in his entire NFL career, had 19 straight completions, tying Tom Brady's uh, franchise record for the Patriots. So technically, Mac Jones at least tied a record in front of Brady, one of his own. So Mac Jones and Josh McDaniels, that is going to work. And Patriots fans should feel happy about that. They should feel excited about what they saw, regardless of the loss. Yes, understanding that it's weird seeing that, you know, someone who hell, Justin, let's be honest, have named their kids and maybe some grandkids after beat them in that type of fashion. But they should feel optimistic and the rest of the league should kind of feel worry. Justin, if I'm the rest of the league right now, if I'm the rest of the other 31 teams, I'm going to take as many shots as I can to the Patriots right now because they're one and three. They're in a division right now that's right now outside of Miami, doesn't really seem very winnable. And it's very difficult for them to contend, but I feel like they will get it together. And the reason they will get it together is, is because Robert Kraft is a very smart businessman. For those that do not know, when he bought the Patriots after they're just doing away with Pete Carroll before he goes back to college, the Patriots were not a, a good franchise, nothing to what they are now. You sell the Patriots franchise right now, hell, Robert Kraft essentially gets triple what he paid for. His second big m- business move is that he trades a first-round pick, a very premium first round pick for a head coach that just got fired in Cleveland. Think about that in Cleveland.
1: It's a big balls move. It's a big balls balls
0: move. That's the, that's the second one. The third move is that you have an aging quarterback, but yet he is not slowing down on play, but yet the head coach drafts his replacement thinking that Tom Brady is just another player. Tom, Robert Kraft steps in and says, trade the replacement. Don't trade the player, trade the replacement. And sure enough, they trade the replacement. Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl. Well, now is another time for him to make a smart business decision for the betterment of the New England Patriots. Brace yourselves, Pats fans. You are going to want to hear this. Robert Kraft should fire Bill Belichick and promote Josh McDaniels to the head coach of the New England Patriots.
1: Ooh,
0: that's that's a spicy take. You love you love this fire the head coaches. I, I, I it's not the it's not just the head coaches. It's the head coaches that have too much power within the organization. We yep, go back to true. what it was with Pete Carroll. The only difference, Justin, is Seattle's owner non-existent, very private, very, you know, closed Doors. Robert Kraft is a well-known public figure. He's all about making smart business moves because he knows that in the end, they will eventually make him money and they will eventually bring more championship to the organization. I feel as though now is the opportunity because with Bill Belichick's power in the draft room is really limited. The skill position players to which you also see Mac producing with still completing 19 passes in a row, but very limited play around him. Bill Belichick went against the grain this offseason and spent over $100 million in guaranteed money for players, things that he used to make fun of other teams for doing, but yet he just did that this offseason, and right now, those investments are questionable at best. He has too much power, and me personally, Justin, I've already pre-ordered on audiobook, of course, the... It is better to be feared book that is supposed to debut exactly a week from today by Seth Wickersham. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a book that is covering the 20 year dynasty of the Patriots, but what it's really covering is the controversy and the jaded and cynical opinions of everyone, including Tom Brady in this book. Now, again, it's on audiobook, so I don't have to sit and really just, go through the journey while reading. I just have to listen almost like what you're doing right now. I can't wait to listen to that. I feel like it's going to really open some doors. And, you know, Justin, the old saying, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's out, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot that reveals about this book. And I feel like now would be the time to cut ties before you have to catch up to a narrative. You can set a narrative instead of really trying to catch up to what a narrative is already portrayed as. Yeah, man, it I think in New England, the state of New
1: England, it's a weird time for them. Um, you know, that area of the country, the Boston, New England area is so used to championship caliber teams every year. Um, I mean across the board, the Celtics, the Red Sox, the Bruins and the Patriots in they're all the respected sports are always up there in championship contention. A lot of parades right now. Oh, a lot of, a ton of parades, a ton of duck boats. Um, but it's a weird time right now. You know, they, they're not used to this. They're not used to, and I love how you put it. They're the only fan base in the NFL that has never experienced that terrifying moment when Tom Brady has the ball late in the game and he's just driving. He's driving in the pouring rain and you just know there's not a damn thing you're gonna do about it. No matter how good Matthew Judon was playing, who, you know, shout out there, Beast. that dude was a monster, an absolute freaking monster. One of those dudes that Bill Belichick paid up for this offseason, and he deserved it. That man is a tank. Um, so shout out to him. But this fan base is experiencing a lot of first. You know, they're not used to, like I said, seeing Brady on the other side of the field. They're not used to seeing a lot of those calls they, they used to be like, oops, shrug their head at When Brady was getting those suspect penalties that some fan bases, the Ravens fans, would say, oh, Tom Brady's a cheater. And I'm not saying Brady's a cheater. I love Tom Brady. But I saw some New England fans saying, oh, that's what we weren't getting or that's what we were getting all these years. Now it's happening in Tampa. So it's kind of funny to see. um, But you got to take the lows with the highs, and they had a lot of highs. Um, But I think you're right. I think they can ride out of this. I think Mac Jones is the right guy to, you know, lead them into the future. And I think him and McDaniels are really a match made in heaven. Their styles really complement each other. And you know, the bell checkpoint, it's spicy, but I kind of like it. It might be Bill's time to really ride off into the sunset. The book that could that's coming out that could be really airing out some dirty laundry potentially. It's gonna be a weird time in New England, and Kraft's a good businessman, like you said. I think. I think at the end of the day, he's going to do what's best for his wallet and his massive investment and whatever that may be. I think he's going to, he's going to do the right thing. He did it once created this just juggernaut for how many years, almost as long as I've been alive since I was in elementary school, you know, he could very well do it again. I think to kind of go back to that Bill's way of building a franchise the way, he could do it with Brady is not how we can do it with Mac Jones or any other quarterback for that matter, whether it was Cam Newton or Mac Jones signing, you know, Nelson Aguilar has like your splashy free agent signing is not the way to do it. That's not the receiver you want to be giving guaranteed money to. There's better ways to build this team. And like I said, I think Bill's incompetencies with building a franchise was really masked by Brady's greatness a lot of the times. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's going to be a very interesting, long season in New England. So we'll see how it goes. But what I want to do now, we're talking about New England. Let's change coast. Let's change coast. We're going to talk about the Seahawks and 49ers game. One of my, I would say, favorite rivalries in the NFL. Because it takes me back to, you know, six, seven years ago when these two teams were just two of the toughest, nastiest defenses in the league. Every one of their battles were tough as hell, low scoring, and just... You know, they're punching each other. It's like a 15-round boxing match. It's it's fun, hard-hitting football, and I kind of saw that in this first half. It was a, obviously a low-scoring game. I saw a lot of hard hits, a lot of tough defense, balls on the ground. It was fun. It was a fun first half. The tide kind of turned a little bit. Russ got cooking, Um, got the ball moving on his, hand, on his end, his side of the field, and then Jimmy G got hurt. Trey Lance came in kind of look like a rookie here and there but there's a magic man on that side of the ball named Debo Samuels the yak King this man has more yak than Zach Ertz probably does in his entire career and I love it he's on my fantasy team shout out to you Debo Samuel but what do you think if if Trey Lance has to play next week way earlier than Kyle Shanahan really wants him to be out there what do you think what do you think we see out of him?
0: Well, as far as Trey Lance, um, you know, you say early, um, I say right on schedule. For those that asked me about how I looked at the Niners quarterback situation, I would always say that Jimmy Garoppolo has exactly one month to prove to Kyle Shanahan, prove to his teammates, prove to the Niners organization and to the Niners fan base that he can still get it done outside of that one Super Bowl year. He's just been hurt. He's been inconsistent. He's made questionable plays. He just hasn't done a lot to really live up to the suave that is Jimmy Garoppolo. But, you know, I mean, Justin, we were in a gun range in Austin, Texas, when we got word that the Niners had traded their future, essentially, to move up to number three to... Draft a quarterback. Now, to our chagrin, we were saying Justin Fields at the time. We were moaning that Kyle Shanahan was going to have the ability to have Justin Fields, but it's new, that's not even relevant anymore. But I said, no matter what, Jimmy Garoppolo has one month to really show everyone that he has the ability to get it done. Well, it we're, we're right on schedule, and it's the same narrative. Jimmy Garoppolo is making questionable plays. He's played hurt and now he just, you know, he has a cap strain now and he's going to be out. And it's looking like Trey Lance is going to be start. It's officially Trey Lance season. Well, what people don't understand is that Trey Lance hasn't played very long. And the time that he did play in college, it was against a subpar level. Now, it was the same exact school that Carson Wentz went to, and Carson Wentz was drafted you know, exactly one pick higher than him. So, you know, don't say that North Dakota State doesn't put out, you know, first round draft picks because they do. I'm just simply saying that he uh, he played one game in the COVID year and then he opted out and then he got very little action in the preseason. But what's exciting is that he is going to be dynamic with Kyle Shanahan. Jimmy Garoppolo had a quarterback rating of 79 on Sunday, and Trey Lance had a quarterback rating of 117, even though Trey Lance had 50% passing completion, and he also threw for fewer passing yards than Jimmy Garoppolo. But the rushing element that Trey Lance brings adds a whole nother dynamic to this specific run game with Kyle Shanahan. I'm old enough to remember back in 2012 when a certain young man named Robert Griffin III and Kyle Shanahan were just making magic happen in Washington. Well, I guess now it's just the Washington football team. But this Trey Lance and specifically Trey Sermon, who got 19 carries on Sunday, the Trey-Trey train is going to work. That is going to play into the outside zone, one cut, get north upfield concept that Kyle Shanahan likes to play. Uh, the only person, Justin, that I'm really keeping my eye on as far as the Niners is actually nobody to deal with their offensive side of the ball. It's actually the defensive side of the ball, and that man's name is D'Amico Ryans. He's the defensive coordinator. Uh, for some of you, that name may sound familiar because it, it should. He used to be the Texans' uh Linebacker, where he was a tackling machine at the time. But, Justin, right now their defense ranks 22nd in the league. And with the defense with, you know, um, Nick Bosa and with Fred Warner, you know, they got some freaks, uh, athletic freaks on that defense. And, you know, they drafted Javon Kinlaw. He's kind of – he's made some plays from time to time, but nothing the hell you would really want him to be as the 13th overall pick at the time. And, oh, I'm sorry. They traded away that pick, but anyway, but they're just not really getting the production on defense that they really would like to kind of match the offense. But I do feel like with Trey and with Trey Lance and with Trey Sermon playing into the run game better, it'll definitely keep them in games. Um, what I'm also focused on with this game was, you know, and we kind of already talked about uh, my take last week as far as getting rid of Pete Carroll. Russell Wilson this Sunday, and think about all the great quarterbacks that have played this game. Russell Wilson was the very first one, or he's the youngest quarterback to reach 100 total wins as a starting quarterback in the league. And he's played for less than a decade. So you think of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, the good old Brett Favre, and the A.A. Ron Rogers. You know, you think all of them, Russell Wilson has – 100 wins faster than every single one of them. Justin, they needed to win this key division game. And I feel like this is another reason as to why the 12s should pick Russell Wilson over Pete Carroll. Because if Russell Wilson doesn't cook and play great and even rush for a touchdown in that game, and they play with any other quarterback with Pete Carroll running the show, they lose that game. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, you, you had to sit there and watch that game. It was sort of brutal to watch unless you're a Niner fan and you're just kind of just anticipating Trey Lance to play well. But when I watched that game, I just see just Seattle's offense just basically look the same. But the only thing that's different is that Russell Wilson just has that, you know, that extra gear to kick in because he just wants to just win every single game and rightfully so that's what he should do um with that justin this is just another indicator as to why i think they should get rid of pete carroll you know the northeast and the northwest have the same problem they have a coach that's been there for way too long that feels as though they're untouchable feels as though they got tenure and they really shouldn't they have way too much say so The nepotism is wild, and if you don't believe that, ladies and gentlemen, all you have to do is look at the newest, most frequently used meme of Bill Belichick's caveman-style son (laughs) with his tongue out looking like he just took about a whole sheet of acid before the game. And you you tell me that nepotism isn't real in the NFL. That man coaches the linebackers (laughs) and the safeties. I'm I'm, I'm telling you – the Northeast and the Northwest, they have the exact same problem, and they need to have the exact same solution. But like we said earlier, the only difference, Robert Kraft is the owner of one team, and the other team—the other owner is not Robert Kraft.
1: Yeah, man. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's amazing – what the front office will do to protect someone who won you a Super Bowl X amount of years ago. You know what I mean? How long that that Seattle Super Bowl win was so many years ago at this point and I still feel like Pete Carroll is being protected by that Lombardi trophy. You know what I mean? And I think you're right. It I think it it could be very well time to just rip that band-aid off, get Pete out the door, get some fresh minds, fresh ideas in there because Russ has got a long career left ahead of him. I know he does you got young receivers there who are extremely talented and you still have the core skeleton of that team that you need to be good. It's just sometimes things get stale, man. One other thing I want to talk, talk about this game is I think with Trey Lance finally getting in there, I'm excited because I was huge on Trey Lance in college. Um, big, big fan of his honestly was kind of hoping he would get his way to Philadelphia at some point before Hertz got into the picture. But, You know, I think that that San Francisco team is just built for Trey Lance. They have so much speed at the receiver position. Trey Sermon's going to be a baller now that he's finally getting the opportunity there, which I'm extremely excited about. And if Brandon Ayuk can get his head out of his ass and get off off the timeout chair that Kyle Shanahan has him sitting on right now, man, this team is going to fly. They are going to be fun. And if that defense can put it together, man, whew, it's going to be a fun, fun time out there in the Bay. Um, and I'm excited to see it happen. Um, I really just, it's a fun time to have a young quarterback in the NFL. And I got a bit of breaking news. First time on this podcast we've ever had breaking news. The Dallas Cowboys just cut Jalen Smith. That's wild. I don't know why. I just saw Schefter tweet because I'm my phone's blowing up about it. They just says uh, the Cowboys released Jalen Smith. As long as that man did not commit some major crime in his wow. facing suspension, getting his butthole licked or whatever the hell Deshaun Watson's got going on, I will take that man in Philadelphia because we need a damn linebacker so bad. So well. it's, it's – it's, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people could use a tackling machine. I don't think Jalen's the best linebacker out there, but, you know, he's hard-nosed and, you know, why not? Why not? That's a, that's a conversation for a different day. We're not talking about Dallas and how good they look. We're going to stay in the same conference, or in the same division, I mean. We're going to move to the Arizona Cardinals, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals, and the Los Angeles Rams, two of the hottest teams in the NFL, battling it out, where Arizona stays undefeated through four weeks, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. To me, a big surprise. Coming into the year... Um, I just mentioned those young quarterbacks before the Jalen Smith breaking news, but man, Kyler Murray's another one of them. You know, one of these young quarterbacks who is just balling out. He's finally got his feet under him in the league and he looks like a force to me, MVP front runner through four weeks. Yes, it's early, but this dude is putting up some serious numbers. He's getting it all done. I love to see it. How much do you love seeing this former Sooner ball out Dylan?
0: I mean, this is just another game for Kyler Murray. You know, Sooner fans are used to seeing a real-life video game created player 99 overall just be spectacular. I mean, and kind of piggybacking to what you said, uh, man, I'm giving every bit of the credit to the Cardinal success to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler. Man, they were three and nine in division games, and specifically zero and four against Sean McVay. And they have spent the last two years with this offense of you know spread them out. We're going to have a quarterback that's incredibly nimble and knows how to not get hit. He has a cannon for an arm. He can barely see over the offensive line, but the thing is, it's really hard to catch him. So they've been playing, you know, they've been playing really fast, but, you know, they haven't been playing nearly enough physical defense to match their division. Because, I mean, thankfully in the NFC West, uh, they're just going to cannibalize each other. And if there is one division that can make four teams in the playoff, I feel like it's one of the divisions is at least the NFC West. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just been tough because, again, like they haven't been able to really, you know, they've been able to put up points, but they haven't really been able to stop anybody. Well, it makes sense to pay $21 million for J.J. Watt for, you know, production and also leadership aspect to help out with Kyler and, you know, taking that next step. You know, there were little whispers that, you know, Kyler really wasn't taking the next step like he should have last year. I thought that was a little bit harsh because he just got hurt, you know, through five, you know, almost this time last year, Kyler Murray is kind of what you're talking about right now. He's the quarter league MVP. Like, you know, he's putting up ridiculous numbers and it's really looking, you know, almost impossible to defend him, but that's not the case this year, Justin, this year, Man, the Arizona Cardinals want to be in that fight now. They want to be the headliners of that main boxing match of that big UFC card. You know, they want to be the headliners now. They want to get in. They want to just take everything. You know, Kyler right now, Kyler is just toying with the league. Like he is he, it's just really so easy for him now that everything's slowing down. We talked earlier in the pod about momentum and how that's a very real thing in the NFL. And it really played into a big game or a big X factor of how this game played out. I don't know if you saw Justin, but um the the Rams are marching down the field and they get down to the goal line, but Arizona with their defense of you know Isaiah Zimmons, Buda Baker on the back end, I obviously mentioned JJ Watt and Chandler Jones just being the pass rushing tandem that they are. They get a goal-line stop against the Matt Stafford Red Hot Rams. They get a goal-line stop. They march right down the field. They score. Next thing you know, it is a, I believe it was a, it, it, that was just a route to a 37-14 just blowout. Like, Justin, the Arizona Cardinals just whopped and manhandled the Rams, which is something you really didn't see Coming Because, you know, you think with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, it's going to be very hard to punk that defense. But I'll tell you what, man, Arizona did just that. I mean, it's hard to say that Kyler, you know, debode somebody. But, you know, Kyler essentially deboed that entire Rams defense. Vance Joseph is the person to kind of give a small credit for this as well. He's got that defense playing tremendous they're an attacking defense that just swarms to the ball. and with Because, you know, I mean, with Cliff Kingsbury, he's going to score points. So if you can match their scoring, you can have the chance to beat them. But if Vance Joseph dials up that defense to where they're just limiting your scoring right now, it's very tough to beat. What I'm really interested about Arizona and just looking forward to down the line is um, – Justin, they have a chance to go eight and0 going up into a primetime matchup with AAron and the Packers on Thursday night. And that would be something incredible to watch specifically with you know Aaron Rodgers coming in potentially seven and one or six and two, but the Arizona Cardinals are eight and0, and now here's the chance to take on the um, a NFC you know heavyweight contender, just another big fight. So I'm really keeping an eye on Arizona. I love what they're doing. Again, give credit to Cliff. Didn't think the offense was going to work. Didn't think the offense would really just take the next step. Uh, He's never been known as a defensive guy. But, hey, a lot of philosophies in Arizona are changing.
1: Yeah, man. And I think what impresses me the most about Arizona – is how much I was confused how they were building this team. Obviously, I love the JJ Watt signing. Maybe not so much for what he has to offer on the field at this point, but more so what you touched on—what he offers to the locker room as a presence to help a young quarterback really get his voice. And I think that's what he helped Kyler do. Um, and you're really seeing Kyler break out of his shell, be the guy that he, you know, that he needs to be for this team to lead into the future on the other side of the ball, the way they built that offense for the past two years has been so strange to me. Um, I forget which draft it was, but they spent a lot of draft capital on receivers. The one year, I believe within like a two year span, they took Christian Kirk. They took Andy Isabella. You know, they're taking all these receivers. They signed AJ green this year. They take Rondale Moore. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? They're doing some funky. They're signing James Connor, who seems like a ghost of himself. And, it's crazy, but it's all working. A.J. Green is up there in terms of leading the team and receiving yards. Um, Rondale Moore's having blow-up games. James Conner has four touchdowns in two weeks. Not a whole lot of yards to go with it, but he's getting all this goal line work. And they're just playing some really unselfish football. This Cardinals team is just looking. They're looking fun. They're playing really unselfish football. The ball is going to everybody and anybody and they're getting the results they want. So who really cares who who's putting up the numbers out here? It's a fun team. Um, and you know, I'm I'm super excited for that Packers matchup that you mentioned. You know, that's that's big primetime action. Two NFC heavyweights, possibly an NFC playoff matchup preview. We'll see. Um obviously definitely, that's a long time away.
0: That that will definitely determine, maybe not determine, but it will definitely play a big Talking point, and as as far as seating wise, like that's oh, yeah. a potential one to three, maybe two or three seed. Like that's, yeah, like you said, those are heavyweights going at it.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, and like you touched on, this whole division could be some heavyweights. I mean, just God, winning these yeah. divisional games within the NFC West is going to be huge to take this one over the Rams, who I mentioned last week is probably the best team in the NFC. They really punched the Stafford McVeigh hot, hot streaking Rams right in the mouth. And I think they proved some haters wrong. Um, I think Arizona looks good. And I got one message for the Rams before we uh, change it up here. Why is Robert Woods only getting the looks in garbage time? Something I don't understand, a man who was an absolute 10 the past few seasons. And I'm seeing him catch a garbage time touchdown. So they only lose by 17 or whatever the final score was. This man is a captain on your offense. Been a captain for a few years at this point. He deserves more respect on his name than a garbage time touchdown, in my opinion.
0: So People I need McVeigh. want Robert Woods. Exactly. They I deserve need Robert Woods.
1: I need a healthy dose of Cup and Woods. I need all of it. And but I think the Rams bounce back. The Rams are good. They're well coached. They got a good guy at the helm with Matt Stafford, and they're going to move right along. Take this one on the chin, and uh, they're you know they'll bring it back next week. I'm finding the theme of this podcast this week is young quarterbacks, and there's another one we got to talk about, and that is that boy out of BYU, playing for the Jets now, going up against the Titans, getting his first career W in the NFL, which is huge. It's big time, and I think Zach Wilson's starting to get a little confidence. You know, he was going up, going into this game against a Titans team lacking big time on offense. He realized, hey, if my defense can step up, maintain this really mediocre offense without A.J. Brown, without Julio Jones, he's like, you know, I could get this W. And he did. He looked confident. The wheels were rolling. He's got that tight spiral. He's zipping balls downfield to Corey Davis for his revenge game, a long touchdown there. And you know, I, I was impressed by him. I Again, I don't think the Titans are anything crazy on defense, but this could be the game that Zach Wilson really needed to get that, that confidence, that swagger that he had in college. But I think it's a big step in the right direction for him. What did you think about Zach Wilson this week?
0: Start spreading the news. He's taking over. Wilson has come to Broadway and it's about time, New York. I loved what I saw from Zach Wilson. Now, I, that's going to be terrible for some of you listeners out there. Cause I know most of you are at this point right now, Titans fans, <laughs> just, just at least from the people that I've told here up in Nashville, but Uh, If I'm a a Tennessee fan, I'm kind of just writing this off. You know, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones were were hurt. They didn't play. Your replacement that you talked about, Corey Davis, is balling. Right now, it's pretty glaring that Tennessee misses Arthur Smith. Their first three drives where this game could have easily been 21 to nothing to start off with. It turns out, uh, you know, three drives in the red zone, they only come away with nine points. And if you give a young team like Zach Wilson and, you know, you know um, Elijah Moore and Michael Carter, you give them enough time to hang around, they believe they can win. Man, there was one play where Zach Wilson gets the snap, he drops the ball, and then he just spins to his right, and he just shows off that big arm, and it's a big completion down the side. Now, I know it's just the Titans, and their defense isn't as good as they really want it to be, specifically with Vrabel you know, bringing in key assets, but I was happy for Zach Wilson. I was happy for the Jets organization because, Justin, before this game, they had only scored three points in, I believe it was only ten quarters of football. Like, that's – it as a Jets fan, that is really hard to watch. It's not fun. Now, it's not. Uh Now, I'm a big Mike Greenberg fan, and I don't know if that really just kind of plays into um, to my homerness, I guess you could say. But I was really impressed as to what Zach Wilson was doing. There was another play where he gets the ball, he's in shotgun, He's kind of sensing a little bit of the pressure. He takes two steps up into the pocket, and he's, he doesn't see what he wants to go. So then he moves to his, to his right, and then he puts the ball in his hand like he's about to throw it, and then he just point, takes his left hand and just says, go. He's, he's telling Corey Davis, just go. And he just takes that ball and just chucks it, and it just, man, it just drops right in the cookie jar, right in the end zone, touchdown. Big play for Corey Davis for the revenge factor. Big moment for Zach Wilson to show everyone that hey, this breakout that you've been waiting to come to Broadway, it's here. This kid that you, you know, drafted number two overall just to really be your future, your next Joe Namath, he's here. It's a building, it's just a building step. I believe I feel like it's a good momentum shift towards that team because they are so young. That you know they play Atlanta next week in uh, in London. You know they 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 uh they play down with uh, Ted Lasso over there. So ne- <laughs> I don't think even Ted Lasso could help the Atlanta Falcons if we're being honest. But that's 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 ne- neither here nor there. I feel like they could have the momentum to actually gain their second win next week. I'm a Zach Wilson believer. I have been since his days at BYU when he was fun watching. Um, him make play after play after play always thought it was a little weird that he was he wasn't elected captain that was probably my biggest little knock on Zach Wilson this entire time because you know it's it's just I don't know just to me personally it's just very odd if the most important position on the field is not considered a leader and not considered a a captain of your team so whenever that happens always just kind of like do a little side eye look like why is that but that's neither here nor there. You're right, man. They got their very first win. Unfortunately, it was against the Titans. But you know what, Titans fans, they should just look this off. Don't even care. Move on to the next. For the Jets, it's a great stepping block. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good time to be a New York fan. But uh, not right now. The last time I looked, uh, Garrett Cole gave up a uh, two-run bomb. So So at least to be a football fan, it's really nice. Not so much as a Yankees fan.
1: Yeah, shout out to Xander Bogarts. He smoked that one. Xander off Bogarts, Cole. that's
0: who it was. Okay, I didn't know who it was. I knew it was off Garrett Cole though. That's what I was looking yes, at. Yes, sir.
1: Yes, sir. But yeah, no, I think you're exactly right, man. To to get this game to really be that perfect storm for Zach Wilson to get that first W, you take AJ Brown, you take Julio out of the game. Who's Tannehill really throwing the ball to? You got King Henry. You're leaning entirely on him at that point, and I think Titans fans. Don't hold your heads. You know, this is one. This is a scheduled W that they like to call, not because of your opponent, but because of the cards you were dealt with the in, on the injury front. So you just move on to next week, and Zach Wilson, you do the same. You take this W. You build off it. You go to London, and you play another team. Is not, like you said, they're not that good. They're really just not. Their defense is incredibly bad. Their offense, I'm still waiting to kind of catch fire. They have the weapons there, but defensively, another good team for Zach Wilson to really show off that arm talent and get this young Jets team some confidence, get them building. And I, I like what they got there. I like the foundation, and I really think that Jets fans should be happy. They're dra- they drafted well, and you know, I just want to see these young kids win. One other point I have about this game. And this might be a hot take. It might be a spicy one. This game obviously went overtime. The Jets were up three. The Titans fought. They battled their way downfield to get in the field goal range with, I believe, it was like 12, 13 seconds left, something along those lines. It was very late. You see the Titans go for the tie.
0: <laughs> the tie. I find either. that
1: to be the strangest thing in the NFL. This is coming from a fan of a team who, Also went for the tie last season against the Bengals with the Eagles. Doug Peterson elected to kick the field goal instead of just going for the W or taking the L potentially. He goes for the tie. Strategically, not a bad idea because in playoff seating, that could really help you. I see the Titans point there. A tie to them means a little bit more than it does to the Jets because the Jets are probably looking more at draft position as opposed to the Titans. They're going to be fighting for a playoff spot, absolutely. So I get it a little bit. I just don't think I could rally my team around going for a tie. I think it seems odd, but hey, you didn't have the weapons. Maybe I'm crazy. I just don't like like the tie. It's like it. It just doesn't feel right. It feels dirty. You're right. It feels man. Dirty.
0: It's it, well. It's just it's settling for mediocrity. Like you're yeah, you're absolutely. basically telling your team that okay, we're not going to get the win, but we're not going to get the loss either. Like this, at least keeps us, you know, at least a half game above the second place, whoever's in the AFC South. But, I mean, the AFC South right now is still looking like a very wide open division. I think Tennessee is just vulnerable because, um, Justin, I didn't really get the chance to really watch this game because I was working during this game, so I had to watch it afterwards. One of the biggest glaring weaknesses I saw was um, they really miss Arthur Smith as a yeah, play caller man. they specifically in the red zone like they were the last two years the titans were 75 percent scoring efficiency in the red zone in 2019 and even in the covid year last year uh bro they're at 50 percent this year and that's good. even that's even with aj and julio you're right and anthony firks they're tight end that was supposed to really just take a big step after John U. Smith left was supposed to, he, you know, he's been in and out of the uh, injury report, but um, I don't really need to get into, you know, King Henry. He's a beast, but you know, if you give a guy 80 touches a game for <laughs> 16, 17 games, there's only so much the human body can really hold. But I feel like the biggest issue for this Tennessee team is not only their play calling with Todd Downing, but, bro, it's the offensive line. And I know that's really odd to say, especially since uh, we got the boys, uh, you know, Taylor Luan and Will Compton, shout-out busting with the boys doing their thing down here in Nashville. But right now the offensive line is the biggest issue for the Tennessee Titans. They gave up, it from what I saw, at least six sacks. Feels like it was more, but it was at least six. But I won't get too much of that deep dive into that analysis, man. Um, uh, we're kind of a little bit on the same, you know, with the Jets just getting the win just for their organization, just for Zach Wilson as a whole. I hope it keep, continues to carry over. The league needs these young quarterbacks to thrive, and right now we're at least starting to see them, you know, at least break through just for the time being. Uh, Tennessee's got a really f- brutal five-game stretch coming up. So this season for Tennessee could really get away, you know, kind of fast uh, if they're really not careful. And um, based off this win, and I really hope they win next week, uh, Justin, I can see the Jets actually finishing 6-11. and
1: Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. I, like I said, I I have a good friend who's a very good, big Jets fan, always has been. So I kind of get weird Jets snippets here and there. Like I said, I, I like what they did in the draft the past few years. They're building a strong offensive line with the exception that Mekhi Becton, is, he's hurt, which stinks. The dude is an animal. But I still like the direction they're moving. And if Zach Wilson can get the confidence going, that swagger, I really like what the Jets could do here in the next coming in the next few weeks and just throughout the rest of the season. So we're going to keep an eye on the Jets, as weird as that is. I don't think most podcasts are keeping the eye, their eyes on the Jets. And we're going to keep an eye on the Titans too. But I want to move to a team that is your personal favorite. Down there in New in, in Louisiana, the New Orleans Saints get to return home after being playing away from the city. Um, due to everything going on with the hurricane there, they finally get to go back to their home state, their home field, in front of their home fans. For what seems like forever for them, you know what I mean? They with the COVID year, the hurricane, this has been a long time coming for that passionate fan base. And they're going up against a Giants team who I would think that the Saints come in here with all the juice and they whoop that giant ass, but that's not what we got. We got the Saints and what I view as an in an upset. It was an interesting game. Um a strange one but I want I want to hear it from you as a Saints fan what did you see out there that ultimately led to them not getting the w
0: one word collapse that's this one is on Sean Payton you're up twenty one to ten with twelve minutes left against a winless hopeless and quite frankly, just lost Giants team. I'm going to start a hashtag on our podcast because I feel like that's just what you're supposed to do when you become a podcaster. Uh, Let Russ Cook has already been taken, but thankfully for trademarking purposes, we're not using Russ's name. So I'm just going to uh, start a uh, hashtag of hashtag let Jameis Cook. Sean Payton. Let Jameis Winston throw the ball. If he turns it over, at least let it turn it over downfield. I understand the conservative approach of the short to intermediate throws and maybe a throw downfield once in a while. But, you know, they – the Saints are just kind of stuck in their own ways, feeling like a Drew Brees-led offense can – you know, still thrive without a Drew Brees. You know, you can't let Jameis Winston be a game manager. He's not a game manager. He's a gunslinger. Let him grip it and rip it. Like, let him him do what he's done since before he was in high school. Turnovers, you're just going to have to deal with it. Now, yes, you can dial back those turnovers, and you can dial back a lot. But, you know, for the most part, let him throw the ball. And now – Michael Thomas and us Saints fans are definitely on, you know, one side or the other side of the fence. Um, I'm just happy that he's come. He's about to come back, and he's about to, you know, hopefully add another element to this offense that allows Jameis to potentially throw down the field. You know, maybe this was Sean Payton's, you know, mad geniusry. I think that's a word. If not, oh well. That just hey, with wine, anything's a word. Um, so if hopefully he just allows Jameis Winston to start throwing down the field a little bit more when Michael Thomas comes back. Uh, Justin, through four games, the Saints have only scored one for first quarter touchdown, and they were in the Giants territory three times and came away with zero points, so this is also a little bit of a Theme that we saw with the uh, the Titans game as as far as letting you know bad teams, especially young teams, if you let them, if you hang let them hang around, you know eventually they're gonna believe that they can win the game, and I feel like that's exactly what Danny Dimes, and yes, I say Danny Dimes because he kind of at least for this week he has at least re you know re earned that nickname. He threw for over 400 yards against a Saints defense that didn't allow Aaron Rodgers to throw over 200 yards. The NFL is weird. That's the best way to explain it. It's a weird league. It is very – it's, yes, weird and odd, but as far as the Giants, hey, way to get on the road in that environment – yeah, the emotion for the Saints was really, you know, obvious, but they stuck with it. Their first-round pick, uh, Kadarius Toney, he looks explosive. He looks like he can kind of open up that playbook for the the Giants. Saquon is almost there, uh, including the, um, I believe, including overtime. He only had uh, 18 total touches, and yet he still had two tutties. Saquon is almost there. We're going to find out exactly how good these Giants are because six of their next seven games are against really good opponents and possible playoff teams. The only opponent that isn't a good opponent and isn't a playoff team is the bye week. And that's, we're about to find out exactly how good these Giants are. But with the Saints, I mean, there's really not much to say. Again, let Jameis Winston throw the ball. If he turns it over, oh, well. Defense just kind of collapsed a little bit. You know, Marshawn Lattimore and uh, their third-round pick from Stanford, uh, Paulson uh, uh, Debo, you know, they just they just got their ass kicked, man. I mean, plain and simple with, you know, uh, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. Um, you know, even though Sterling Shepard didn't play, I feel like uh, Saquon Barkley was his – was his replacement because it just, oh, well, it was just a collapse. Saints need to just, you know, readjust, um, you know, maybe next week when they play the Washington football team, they can maybe limit Taylor Heineke to 50 yards passing, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I I think it's really a case of getting back to the drawing board for the Saints. I think you you nailed it. You nailed it on the head with, you got to let Jameis Cook, man. Like you said, he's not a game manager. He's a gunslinger. The dude is built in prime to let that thing fly. So why aren't you letting him do it? You got some speed there. I know the receivers aren't great necessarily on paper, but that boy Marquez Calloway, he can fly. Him and Jameis showed the connection a couple times during the regular season. They showed it in the preseason. So let's see it more in the regular season. I want to see Jameis play Jameis football. Obviously, limit the turnovers. We don't need full Tampa crab leg, W Eaton Jameis. But – I want to see Jameis throw the ball. I think with Michael Thomas coming back, it's going to be huge. It really opens up a lot of their playbook. Um, it's going to put them in the right direction moving forward, I hope. I had a note here. I don't take a lot of notes, but I had a note here. It just said, where art thou, Michael Thomas? Because Saints fans like you touched on, they're in a weird spot with Michael Thomas. There's a lot of weird you know, tension there but
0: you need them. You need your, just catch the balls and catch touchdowns. And that's all you got to do. We'll talk about the off. Just come in, produce. We'll talk about the off season shit later. Like just come in and produce.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And one of the thing, and I don't know if it's just me, I'm an Alvin Kamara fantasy owner in multiple leagues. I cringe every time I see Taysom Hill take goal line carries from this man. Now, don't get me wrong. The one Taysom Hill touchdown was bull out beast mode. This dude was dragging bodies. He was in the, he was just putting his body out there, putting it on the line, trying to get the W for his team. But I, one thing that stood out to me is watching this game back is on that run, you see Kamara was kind of the one guy on the Saints team that was also in the mix of that Taysom Hill run. He's out there. He's got his defender on him. He barely even puts an arm out for a block. Taysom gets in the in the end zone. Kamara walks the other way. I've never seen such a beast mode run not come with full admiration from the rest of your team. So I don't know. Maybe me and Alvin are on the same page. I'm sick of him not seeing the end zone. Hell, for that matter, not seeing a single target.
0: I was going to just point out to the target, uh, the Brown this time last year, Alvin Kamara through four games has 35 targets, and that's even with a... Limited Drew Brees through four games this year. He has exactly 14, 14 targets in the passing game.
1: I, I would go out on a limb here without looking at any past statistics. I bet you he had 14 targets in games multiple times at some point in his career. I just I know it for a fact. This dude is too talented, too electric to not be getting targets out of the backfield. Hell, he ran for a hundred plus but I feel like his fingerprints weren't on the game enough like it should be. That dude should be an integral part of your offense week in, week out. Get his energy going. Get him going in the in the red zone. I want to see less Taysom Hill. I want to see more Alvin Kamara, and I want to see Jameis with the training wheels off. But Like I said, get the Saints back to the drawing board. I think they'll be alright. They've impressed me thus far. I kind of expected a little bit worse out of them being how much of a rebuild. Passing to the torch from Brees to Jameis, but you know, I think the Saints got it. I think they they still have b- uh, big potential for the rest of the year. And shout out to the Giants, man. I am the biggest hater of Giants fans. I think they're the most <laughs> delusional fan base out there. Um, and I'm an Eagles fan, so I should be saying that about the Cowboys, but I'm saying it about Giants fans. I think they are all delusional. But I love Saquon Barkley. I'm glad he's starting to look like him his old self out there. He's getting that juice, that electricity going through his giant. Quads again. I love to see it. Let's not have the Giants win another game the rest of the year, and I'll be happy.
0: Before we get into um, the the closing segment, I just had a I just had a really quick question for you. I kind yeah. of uh, you know alluded to beforehand that uh, you know I just had just a one little thing just added, but I wouldn't tell you what it was. So this is it. So Stanley, there are as of right now there are ten teams out of thirty two in the NFL. So you know a little under a third of the teams are all one and three. Mm-hmm. And those teams are the Pats, the Houston, the Jets, Atlanta, Dolphins, Colts, Pittsburgh, Giants, Eagles, and Vikings. Out of those, all those te- out of all those teams that are one and three, who would you say is the best one and three team right now? Who, 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 who? That that is an interesting question, and I like that. I like that a lot. Um,
1: man, that's a long list of teams. That's kind of crazy. I don't know. I it's cannot second, recall. It's, the,
0: it's actually the second leading as far as uh, win-loss total. So right now the leader is 3-1 uh, and one with 12 teams. Like tw- There are 12 teams in the NFL that are 3-1 and one right now. But I feel like the 1-3 discussion would be much more juicy simply because of the teams that are here.
1: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I am 100% with you. So I think – There's two teams to me that stand out within that group. Um, Some people might think it's Pittsburgh. To me, it's not. As long as Big Ben is under center, I think that's a big problem for them moving forward this year anyway. Um, But really, I think the top two teams out of that group are Minnesota and probably the Colts. I think the Colts are a team who right now haven't looked the best, but they have been competitive Almost every week, they've had a few weird injuries not go their way. The O-line's banged up, new quarterback, T.Y. Hilton's not there. A lot of weird scenarios going on there, but I expect Reich to bounce them back. I think as long as Wentz remains healthy and competent, they'll be okay. Um, They're in a weak division too, so that it really helps. I think the division's really wide open. And then Minnesota, they have a pretty easy stretch through most of the, I think it's the first eight games. Kirk Cousins, fantasy-wise, had a very, very light schedule. And I think that gives them big opportunity through eight weeks. And then as long as they had that confidence, as long as Steelen's rolling, Dalvin Cook's healthy, and they got that boy, Justin Jefferson, balling out, I think they got a really fun and electric team, but it really just falls on the quarterback like most of these situations do. But those are my two out of that group. Um, Who do you got?
0: Well, we definitely agree on the Colts uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I even said on last week's pod, there are some people that fell off the Colts bandwagon last week. I believe we, I even went on this pod and just uh, spelled out, relax, that eventually they're going to get it together. So we definitely agree with the Colts. My next team would be the Pats. I feel like mm-hmm. with the Pats, they are so close to not being one and three. Like They are so close to being potentially three and one. The only game that I saw them really actually like lose just be like really lose was the um was the Saints game simply because of uh, things you don't really see a New England team lose from, and that's you know, bad timing turnovers and miscues on special teams. Like that that's a very un New England like style loss. And you know, with the Brady deal just going around how it is, and even with that first win that Mac Jones had against um More than that first game that Mac Jones had against Tua in Week One, you know, if um, Damian Harris doesn't fumble that ball, Mac Mac Jones wins that game. So I feel like the Pats and the Colts, you know, they're they're right there. Those are two teams that I could definitely see finishing like you know, ten and seven, possibly nine and eight, uh, vying for a spot. Culture in a very winnable division. You know, we talked about the Pats division as far as uh, who they're looking up to. And just right now, it's just, you know, the, with the Bills. And mean, um, um, you can say what you want about Miami. Miami doesn't feel like they have their quarterback of the future in the room. And they're always going to hate it because they're seeing how special Justin Herbert is. And I also feel like with the uh, with the Jets, you know Zach Wilson is you know, even though we're a Zach Wilson uh, favorite pod, he is just getting started and you know he's just only won one game, so let's take it at a time. So the Pats could be very well three and one tied with first in their division. Um, yeah man, I just wanted to just kind of throw that out there just to see what you would you would just think just sheer, just sheerly off of just hearing that you know reaction based. Yeah, man, that's fun. I
1: love the, being on the hot seat there. It's a fun question. But you mentioned a name in there, and I want to I want to talk about this game before we send it over to uh, our actual host, Rob, with his little Rob rant. I want to talk about Justin Herbert for a second. I want to talk about the Chargers Raiders Monday Night Football. Is that? That was a it was a fun game. At least Uh, I love the first half because I love me some Justin Herbert. Not just because he's got a great name. That's a baller. He's been balling since Oregon. I thought he was very slept on in his in his draft class. Obviously, he went very early in the first, but I don't think he got the love he deserved coming into the NFL. Obviously, Tyrod, that whole freak weird situation there gives him an opportunity very early, and that dude has been balling since he got his shot. This team. I was talking to my boss at work today who was a diehard Raiders fan. And I was like, the game was there for Oak or Vegas. I'm sorry. The game was there for them really to be right at, right in it. But this chargers team is very good. They are very good on both sides of the ball. I think they're a lot better than people give them credit for. And I think they're going to be a real threat out in the AFC and, don't get me wrong, I was impressed with the Raiders too. I think their defense in the second half, the adjustments they made on Herbert was, inc- was very impressive because Herbert that first half was looking like an MVP candidate and he still might be, but that second half, they bottled him up and they looked good. They kind of got their feet under them a little bit, but Austin Eckler icing that game late with that 20-yard run really seal the deal and uh, put the charges at three and one with maybe they should be four. and zero. Oh, the Cowboys game. I know Rob ranted about that, but I mean, how much do you love Justin Herbert? I don't even want to pose it as a question of giving you an option of the other side. I just want to hear how much you love Justin Herbert.
0: I I mean, Justin Herbert, um, he'll always have a special place in my heart. My girlfriend and I actually call him uh, baby Herbie. Uh, he, he, um, He brought us together as a couple last year when he had his spectacular rookie season and caused both of us to win a fantasy football championship. Uh, And it was my girlfriend's first time playing. So now, you know, even though she's a Pats fan, you know, she'll have a special place in just, or a special place in her heart for Justin Herbert. But I mean, you've kind of alluded to it, man. I mean, he is just, He's a physical freak. I mean, six five. He can move. He has a cannon for an arm. I feel like, and I really looked into this earlier today. That and it's funny that you even mentioned this because I wasn't going to bring this up on the pod, but I, I, it's it's funny that you already essentially opened the door. But with Justin Herbert and his specifically his junior and senior years at Oregon, I looked back and I looked at the skill position players and I looked at the coaches as to who was around him, who was in his ear, who who's there to help him be a first round pick? Like what who was there? And I'm looking at all these these names and not a whole lot of them stand out. And the offensive coordinator actually left and is coaching in New Mexico and is yet to win a game. So while Justin Herbert is a 4.2 graduating Oregon, you know, biology major for those that didn't know. He doesn't have an offensive coordinator around him that doesn't really know what he's doing. And he doesn't have the skill position players, which at Oregon is a little odd to say, but just during that time, he doesn't have the players to really elevate his gameplay like Tua did or like when Joe Burrow had. So a lot of people just wrote off Justin Herbert and everyone, you know, wanted to pick Tua. Well, the thing is, Justin, you and I aren't general managers. You know, we're, I mean, we're armchair general managers and to us that that is significant, but we're not actual NFL GMs. We don't get paid the big bucks to make that kind of decision. But Tom Telesco of the or I guess I can say yeah, the L.A. Chargers, he is ecstatic that the Miami Dolphins chose Tua over Justin Herbert. And for those of you that don't know how Justin Herbert even started his NFL career, he started his NFL career 15 minutes into the second game with his coach coming up saying, warm up, you're going in. If Tyrod Taylor doesn't get that unfortunate shot to his lung, and caused him to be out due to unfortunate circumstance, we may not know what Justin Herbert could be. But then, you know, he comes in, he wins rookie of the year, he sets the passing touchdown record. He comes in this second year ready to go with a new coordinator from the Saints, a new head coach with a defensive background, weapons on the outside, Austin Eckler being just a monster, specifically a PPR monster, He's got the weapons around him to be great. It's just, could he be great? Well, he has definitely exceeded expectations, and you really got to give it to Dean Sopranos and the Charger family. I mean, hell, Justin, they go from Drew Brees to Phillip Rivers to now Justin Herbert. You can't, unless you're the Packers, you can't really find that type of quarterback luck in a quarterback room in the league, very often, like that stuff like that just doesn't happen. But just getting back to Justin Herbert and how special he is, I mean, I feel like he is about to be with Trevor Lawrence, with Joe Burrow, with Kyler Murray, you know, with all these young quarterbacks, even younger than Patrick Mahomes. It's just fun for the game, it makes the game just. Even better, it makes the league more fun to watch. It puts an extra emphasis on scoring. It, it's just great to see Justin Herbert thrive where he is because we even talked about it in a previous pod. If you're in L.A. and you're not producing, there are other things that they can spend their money on. You know, they if, if The people that were going to USC games, they don't need to go to USC games. They can go to Charger games. If you're not going to Dodger games or if you're not going to – clipper games well you can go to the the rams games and see them and see just as many stars you know there are tons of things to do in la i love what justin herbert's doing i hope he keeps it up and i feel like uh, even though kyler murray is the first quarter mvp i feel like right now if i was a betting man and uh, there was a dark horse mvp candidate i'd throw uh, money on it would definitely be justin herbert yeah, man, absolutely.
1: He's putting up the numbers. He's got the the team around him to really support that case. And I'm very much looking forward to what Herbert is going to do the rest of the year. We are a pro Justin Herbert podcast. We only say absolutely. good things about Justin Herbert. And we are a pro Chargers podcast. Bold up, baby. But what I'm going to do now, a little unusual, a little different, because we're without our third amigo. We're, we're without Rob. But he has some takes. He's got some feelings and some thoughts on his beloved Eagles, my beloved Eagles as well, and what their matchup with the Chiefs this week. So, Rob went on one of his Rob Rants earlier today, pre vacation mode. And uh, we're going to send it to him right now. And you're going to hear from the bougie man himself about what he thought about that Philadelphia matchup.
2: Episode number five. Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Rob Brandt. For the boys. And I'm gonna do a little solo recording. Uh, Dylan and Justin, the other two people of my menage trois will be recording separately. I've got a lot of obligations this week. They're gonna hold it down. They're gonna give you guys what you need, the content you deserve, and as always that helpful, helpful insight. Yeah, this is my second attempt. Wanna share that with you guys. My first attempt got deleted off the computer. So we go again, we go again, that's all we can do. Just wanted to come to you guys and discuss a little bit about the Eagles. The Eagles fall to the Kansas City Chiefs at home in what was arguably one of the most entertaining games of the day. Didn't matter who you're rooting for, whether it was the Chiefs or the Eagles. This game had fireworks from the start. Let's jump right into it. First drive, Nick Sirianni, he heard the critics. He heard all the talk about not running the ball. First play from scrimmage they hand the ball to Miles Sanders, he gets a couple of yards. From there on out, it was pretty much play action or run pass action off of Miles Sanders, using him as a decoy. The Eagles marched down the field in a really, really methodical drive. I mean, it was it was beautiful. It was everything just seemed in rhythm. The play calling was great. We mixed it up, we get right inside the red zone, and that's where the offense stalls. And by the end of this, you'll notice a common theme. The common theme is we stalled inside the red zone, specifically inside the 10-yard line, maybe three times. We had to settle for field goals on three different drives where we were down in scoring range and could have gotten touchdowns. We also had three different touchdowns called off the board and negated by penalties. So I'm going to get into all that. So let's get back to the the plays on the first drive. We get down to about the – I don't know the exact yard line, but I want to say it was first and goal or or first and 15, whatever the case may be, we dial up a run and we end up getting two yards with Miles Sanders. So we get a run, two yards, Miles Sanders dances in the hole a little bit. Not sure what he saw there. It looked like the left side of the line, left of the center was open, but it looks like the linebacker flashed in there and then he got blocked up nicely. Miles could have kind of just hit that hole hard, exploded for maybe four to five yards. In my opinion, but he dances, he dances around the backfield, ends up getting two yards. The very next play, and I don't think it was a goal-to-go situation, but it was, you know, red zone. The very next play, Jalen Hurts drops back. We dial up a beautiful route. Zach Ertz gets matched up on the release with, I believe, a linebacker. If it was a DB, he could just got absolutely smoked off the line. But Zach Ertz comes off the line, runs a beautiful route, gets inside leverage. The ball comes out of Jalen Hurts' hand like a missile. It's a little bit high, a little bit hot. Overthrows a wide open earth in the end zone. Uh, You hate to see it. So third down. Third down, I think we ended up having a Jalen Hurts scramble. I think we ended up having a Jalen Hurts scramble. And then we ended up getting five yards on the play. So he doesn't get the first down yardage this needed, but it's a nice scramble. I didn't love the play call. Didn't see exactly what happened there. But again, it seemed like as things got compressed... We started running out of ideas. Jalen Hurts absolutely has to hit Zach Ertz on that throw. That is a throw that an NFL quarterback 10 out of 10 times makes, and they have to make it. So I'm going to give Jalen Hurts a lot of praise today, so I'm also going to be honest and say he missed a wide open one. It was a big one too. So we scramble on third down. Jalen Hurts, I believe, gets down to about fourth and three to go. What does Sirianni do? He dials, he dials it up. We're going for it, obviously. We're going to be aggressive. They dial up the play. We come out there, and we're about to have a delay of game. Another common theme of this game was pre-snap penalties. This was one of two delay of games that I saw. So to avoid the delay of game, the play clock is winding down. Nick Sirianni ends up having to call a timeout. We come back out of the timeout, and we don't even line up to go for it. We we send Jake Elliott out there, change the heart, take the points. At this point, the defense had seen what we were going to run, or they'd seen the alignment. And obviously we felt confident in that play at the time. It did not after the timeout. So Sirianni kicks the field goal, gets the points, 3 nothing. you think all is well. Um, but that was, that was a common theme. I'm not going to break down every drive. That's not my job. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you off the top of the head terrible feedback and analysis from my chair over here, my armchair. That's what we do, armchair All-Stars. So. Going forward, we would get back inside the red zone several times and pre-snap penalties continued to hurt us big time. Goddard had a huge game. He could have had an even bigger game. He had one amazing touchdown where he just, you know, he caught the ball down on the goal line. He caught a ball out and out with his hands away from his body as he's doing a somersault with the defender attempting to break loose the football. And he maintained contact. What they said was through the catch. So I think he took two, three, maybe four steps and a tumble and a flip. The ball did become dislodged, but the, uh, the scoring replay confirmed that the call on the field was good. And I, I got to say, I think it was a good call. I think it's a touchdown. It, if it went the other way initially on the field, I would have been fine with it, but a he- hell of a play by him to maintain control of that ball away from his body, keeping it away with his big frame from the defender, and he completes a full football move, gets the touchdown. Later on in the game, we had a – I'm drawing a blank now on what it was. We had a a huge play, actually. We throw the ball to Dallas Goddard, again, down in the red zone. It looks like we're looking for our big tight ends in the red zone. seems to be another theme that Sirianni has. We look for Goddard. We throw it out to him kind of out in the flat. He has to fight off two defenders, not one. Fights off two defenders, fights off one, kind of backs his way, muscles his way into the end zone for the touchdown. Everybody's hype. What happens? Another pre-snap penalty. The refs come in. They call a. They call a foul. First, it seems like they're gonna call a penalty on the defense because they grabbed a hold of his helmet. So it should be, you know, a face mask or something like that. And they do. They end up calling that. But they also call an illegal procedure or illegal formation penalty on Dillard. Uh, something. Something ridiculous. I didn't see it. Calls go both ways all the time. This one was. This one was dicey, folks. I thought for sure that was going to be a touchdown and a defensive penalty that we declined. It was not offsetting penalties. They made us run it back. Needless to say, we ended up settling for three, man. So they took another touchdown off the board, and then later on in the game you would see that again. But, you know, let's jump right into some things I really loved about this team. This team was able to move the ball up and down the field at will today. This was a huge bounce-back game from the Eagles as a whole. I thought the organization really responded – It's really evident to me to see that Jalen Hurts is a leader. He is a true leader of this team, and he deserves a chance. The locker room rallies around him. The team believes in him. The coaches believe in him. And I really just hope that Jeffrey Lurie believes believes in him. Ultimately, his success will come down to how hard he works, how good of coaching he has, and if Lurie and Howie Roseman give him the leash that he deserves. We talked about it a little bit last week. He doesn't have the first-round status. Um, He wasn't necessarily the guy pegged to be the man. He was kind of brought in as an insurance option or a fun piece to add to the offense. Or so we think. Or did the Eagles front organization know that the Carson Wentz experiment was going to run out soon? We don't know. Either way, this guy deserves, he deserves all the reps. What I saw today was a leader. I saw Jalen Hurts play within himself time after time. We would dial up a screen. We had wide receiver screens to Quez Watkins. They were beautiful. We had Jalen Rager getting involved in the screen game. Beautiful. We had halfbacks getting involved in the screen game. Beautiful. A lot of Kenny G. But look, we would also call screens, and they would be covered, completely covered, and Jalen Hurts, every time, no hesitation, would throw the ball away in the dirt. I mean, it was incredible. He was he was locked in. He was in the zone. It was Everything was within rhythm. The play calling flowed. We had a lot of pre-snap motion. We had a lot of in and out of the backfield. A lot of guy coming on like jet sweep motion action uh, through the backfield. A lot of wide receivers moving around. And it looked a lot more like the offense that we saw in week one with Atlanta. Very collegey, but not gimmicky. Like it looked, it looked awesome. It was fun to watch. It was working. Everything was flowing. We were calling runs. We were calling passes. Everything felt natural and nothing felt forced. And Jalen Hurts was incredible, man. When you needed a big throw down the sideline, he was hitting these windows, kind of these holes on the sideline, like 20 yards downfield. I mean, we were getting some chunk plays this game. This wasn't the dink and dunk offense that we thought it had to be. He was finding he was finding Devontae for holes down the sideline. He was finding Zach Ertz down the left sideline for 20, 25 yards. I mean, he was dropping it in. He was throwing the ball in the middle of the field for good yardage. It was – it was incredible, you know? I, I don't want to cry right now tearing up, but, you know, Jalen Hurts was incredible. He This was growth. This was signs that show me he is absolutely, positively a franchise quarterback. Given the right coaching, given his health, this man has all the tools and the abilities to lead this team. He ran when he needed to run. They also had a called run. He He's strong in the pocket. He didn't seem to me to break the pocket too quickly. He ran when he needed to. And overall, he just he played a really, really methodical game. Everything that was called, he was within the offense. I couldn't tell if he was going through all his progressions or if it was a lot of first-read stuff, but whatever it was, it was working. There was one throw, I think, in the second half where I want to say he's flushed out of the pocket or it may have even been a designed rollout, but this was one where he hit Devontae up on the sideline for maybe 20, 30, 35 yards. Just an absolute beauty of a ball. He's rolling out to his right. Kind of seems like he throws it off a of one foot. Just beautiful launch, launch angle, lets the ball go. And it was never in doubt. Beautiful route by Devontae. Beautiful catch. I mean, besides the Zach Ertz overthrow early in the game and maybe one other throw where you threw another pass that was intended for Ertz in the end zone that was a little bit high and hit off his hands, also could have been a defensive PI on the – On the player guarding him who had him hooked around the waist but you know those are 50 50 sometimes you get them sometimes you don't but besides that he was money he was literally money in the bank. extremely encouraged by the young man out of oklahoma jalen hurts is really morphing before our eyes i think in the post game press conferences they were asking him about that i think sirianni may have said it was the best game he's ever seen him play or or someone did. Someone gave him high praise. And, of course, Jalen was very humble and charismatic in his response, you know, that basically you just need to keep learning and growing. I mean, he's incredible. But he does. He deserves that praise. He deserves the praise. This was the best game I've ever seen him play. It was an elite game that I saw him play. I really saw a quarterback who was confident, a quarterback who knew – what the install was, a quarterback who knew how to attack a defense, a quarterback who wasn't going to get it rattled, a quarterback who was not afraid to roll out, throw the ball away, a quarterback who was not afraid to stand in the pocket, take a big hit, a quarterback who knew when the screen wasn't there to immediately throw it away instead of trying to force a play, you know, take a big tackle for loss or a fumble or force a ball that's not there. Jalen Hurts was absolutely incredible. You know, it's unfortunate that late in the game, we did end up getting another garbage time touchdown, but it's unfortunate that they took away. It's unfortunate that they took away the Devontae Smith touchdown because that thing was a thing of beauty. But, you know, touching on that, Devontae Smith, I looked at the alignment. We had plenty of room to the outside there. He's just, that's just growing pains, man. It's growing pains. It's unfortunate it's happened to us twice this year, but he has to know where the boundary is. And watching that play, Eagles fans might have been oohing and on and hollering, you know, it's another penalty, blah, 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 on a touchdown. Yeah, it was. It did, It called a touchdown back, but it was a legitimate penalty. I don't believe that he was physically pushed out as the rule states in the rule book. Uh, it doesn't really apply. He was kind of forced out just by, by the defender playing good defense, you know. He has a right to run on that field just the same way Devontae does. He was staying in his hip pocket, and Devontae's got to be more aware of where he is on the field at all times. So, These are rookie mistakes. These are young receiver mistakes. I think we will get them corrected in the future. The guy still balled out. I think his line was 6 for 122. Should have been, I don't know, should have been 7 for 160 in a tutty. Just absolutely incredible what this young man can do. The slim reaper, he's everything we wanted at number 10 overall, and I'm excited to see how he goes moving forward. But you know, overall, I have got so much praise for this team on offense. Rager was involved. Quez Watkins, prior to the injury, was heavily involved. It looks like he banged up his foot a little bit on a, a crosser in the end zone deep in the, I think, in the first half. It was a scramble drill. Hertz was waiting, waiting, waiting. Man, I, I really hope something would pop. Nobody could get open. Hertz kind of threw one over there thinking he would get it, and the DB kind of pushed Quez down, and he looked like he hurt his foot. He did return to the game, however. Um, I think he had a catch or two after that. Not sure how effective he was, but he played well. Jalen Rager was in on the action, had a couple good catches, a nice little screen for first down. Kenny Gainwell played well. He did have a key fumble early on that could have cost us big time. The refs did not review it near the goal line. He fumbled like on the one, and it was a fumble. Live, I thought it was dicey, but the Eagles did a good job of getting up to the line. And running the next play, I think we ended up scoring on that drive a touchdown. But, you know, we shouldn't have had a touchdown. It should have been Chiefs ball. They're the ones that picked it up. Overall, I thought Gainwell was nice. He is definitely a weapon in the passing game. And it's evident to see why everybody said this young man is a steal. You know, I, I remembered him a little bit from two years ago at Memphis. He obviously opted out last year because of COVID and some personal stuff. Had a little bit rough of training camp here in Philly. We were a little bit nervous if we had made a mistake, but uh, he's as advertised. Kenny G is the real deal. Miles still needs to be the number one. He ran hard. He's got all the tools, but they're definitely a nice one-two that can complement each other really, really well. Gainwell with the ball in his hands is dangerous in the open field. It's evident how he can gain yards after the catch. You know, I just got man. I'm just excited. I'm excited. There, I know there are no moral victories, but this feels like a win. Like, this is a W, folks. This is a W. If you're an Eagles fan, you cannot be discouraged. We're 1-3, but we are who we thought we were. We're exactly where we're supposed to be. Like, this is a rebuilding year. It doesn't matter. We're going to have ups. We're going to have downs. But I'm not down, man. I'm not. Everybody played really, really well on the offensive side of the ball today, and that's what gets me the most excited. Zach Ertz played really well. You know, he could have had a couple of touchdowns. He had a couple key catches. He was rotating in there nicely with Goddard. I kind of think that that will actually benefit them as long as they're both on the team, hopefully keep them healthier because we are running a lot of 11 personnel sets. I continue to see what formations we're running. And I got to say, I am really, really happy that we have speed and not this slow plotting offense that we had for the past couple years when we were just like well our tight ends are the best on the on the team let's just run 12 all the time like no let's not i never want to see a 12 personnel heavy attack again they're both good in their own right but i like having the speed and spreading everybody out so a lot of rotating going on between those two goddard's been incredible like i said he should have had two touchdowns he was robbed of one in my opinion They just played really well. Hats off again. Kelsey didn't see any major issues there. He's just the man that never gets hurt, never quits. As far as the line, Landon Dickerson didn't really see or focus too much. It seemed like when there was pressure, it was coming from the right side, and it was flushing Jalen to the left. I don't know if that was just designed with blitzes and they were overloading the right side of the line because when Jalen rolls left, he typically throws. They have commented – I mean, he typically runs – They even talked about it on the broadcast. But, you know, the right side seemed to be having more issues than the left side. What I did notice was that Dillard, who I have slandered time and time again, the left tackle that we traded up for two years ago, he was, dare I say, good. Not just serviceable. Like, this man was good. Like, I would give him a grade A in this game. I saw several pass sets where he seemed to settle in nicely. I didn't see anybody, you know – Whipping his ass off the edge. I gotta say, for a guy who had real confidence issues two years ago, was beaten down and on the trading block, you know, openly on the trading block by the Eagles. Having him come in and add a little bit of stability when we needed it the most was really, really nice to see. You know, gotta say I'm proud of that kid. He um he battled the whole game. I'm not saying the Chiefs D-line is world beaters, but these are NFL guys, man. Dillard held his own. I think he had. One pre-snap penalty earlier, which the the penalties continue to plague us, man. There was a third and inches where Josh Sweat jumped off sides, encroachment, just too eager. You just can't do it. You got paid way too much money. You're not a rookie. Stop it. We're the most penalized team in the league. It's crazy. It is absolutely ridiculous. Another big penalty, Derek Barnett. I think it was a second and long, either a second and long or a third and long, but you know Derek Barnett and Sweat meet at Mahomes. At Mahomes and Josh Sweat gets Mahomes high, and Barnett comes around the other side. Doesn't know he is on the field. Has no awareness of anything. Goes low, high, low on Mahomes. It's an easy flag. And once again, it's Derek Barnett. It's ninety six. He just he's not showing up in the stat sheet with sacks, tackles for losses. I don't really see him as being this huge key in stopping the run. He's just a thorn in everybody's side. He's a pain in the ass. He's a dude disguised as another dude who's trying to play D-end. And guess what? He's not playing it very well. You got to remember, this is a guy who was drafted 14th overall by this franchise years ago to be the next piece, the next cornerstone of a defense. And he's been anything but that. He was drafted in 2017, 14th overall. So look, for this team to be successful, we're gonna need better play overall from this D-line. You know, let me go to the interior. Well, first let me touch on Ryan Kerrigan. We really had high hopes when we signed Kerrigan in the offseason. He's long on the tooth. This is a guy who's been a force for Washington for a long, long time. One of the premier pass rushers in this league. And look, pass rushers are a premium in this league, and they're very important to the team. So Nothing wrong with reaching and trying to sign a guy who's a little bit older. We brought in veterans before that it's worked out for us. We signed Michael Bennett a few years back, and he was an absolute monster, even at his advanced age. I think he was 33 at the time, maybe a little bit older, but he gave us a lot of juice. That guy was an absolute freak, love him or hate him. Michael Bennett was a baller, but we need more out of these DNs. It's really tough that BG's out for the year. But every, every good team has injuries. Every team has injuries. It's how you overcome. It's always next man up. That's the philosophy. So we're going to need to coach these boys up, and we just need Barnett to quit making mistakes. Josh Sweat with the, you know, the mental errors, he's too talented for that. He's come a long way since Florida State. And interior-wise, you know, Fletcher Cox really – I want to say he really showed up a couple games ago. It was nice to see 91 – on the stat sheet and see 91 flashing in the game. But I have to say our defensive tackles in this game were non-existent. The pass rush up the middle was not there. We weren't really winning the battle at the line of scrimmage at all. You know, his his teammate there to his side, Javon Hargrave, has been one of the best players on this team. He was a non-factor in this game as well. Whether it was in the run game or in the pass rush, we just, we just have to do better. So overall, I would give this D-line a – Probably a D minus grade for this game, if not an F. You know, nothing really to write home about, nothing positive that they did that swung this game. No really big plays to write home about, just personal fouls, penalties, and just giving up huge yardage. I did want to touch on the linebackers really quickly. This organization continues to fail this fan base when it comes to drafting linebackers and valuing this position the way that other NFL teams do. We did... Invest in what we thought was a prospect and a project, a long term project in Davion Taylor out of Colorado a few years back. I believe he was a third or fourth round pick. And look, he had the athleticism, but didn't have the game experience, the football game experience to play at this level yet. He was going to need a couple years. And we had high hopes for him coming into this camp. And once again, the injury bug bit us and he's hurt. So we'll have to see what he gives us when he gets back. But I wanted to comment on something during the game. I saw uh, Alex Singleton, you know, run down a guy. It might have been Clyde. I'm not sure who it was. Run him down after about a five and a half, six yard gain, and the other linebacker ran over there. I think it was Eric Wilson, that idiot, and, and gave him a high five. And I thought to myself, okay, where's the bar? Where's the bar? If you're high fiving your teammate for taking an eternity to fight through traffic to go over there and make a tackle. Near the out of bounds line, after a gain of five to six yards, like that's not, that's not the type of plays I want to celebrate. We're not celebrating tackles for loss. We're not celebrating, you know, no games. We're not celebrating short yarders like five and six yards. You're, you're slapping hands. Let's not. Let's let's act like we've been there before. We got to do better. Uh, you know, no knock on Singleton. The guy really really tries hard. People who just look at box scores and stats and fantasy. Or like Alex Singleton, he led the Eagles in tackles. He had 100-something. Who cares? Who cares? That doesn't mean anything. That means that we can't stop anybody, and he just happens to be – he gets to the tackler. He gets to the ball. That's it. That's all it means. It does not mean anything. If you watch the game, he's got to be better. Our linebackers in general. Eric Wilson on Tyreek Hill for his second-to-last touchdown or one of the touchdowns was an absolute mismatch. I don't know – how that happened, I guess we were in dime and they went five wide and it just, it just, it'd be like that, man. Somebody's got to take them. And it was Eric Wilson, the linebacker, easy option route for Tyreek, easy catch and throw. I mean, easy throw and catch for Mahomes. So, you know, we've got to do better. And then touching on the secondary, I didn't really see too much. Anthony Harris, obviously not very good. Also a free agent signing. He's tall, big, and really slow. Or Tyreek Hill makes you look extra slow. Um, Rodney McLeod came back off an injury. I thought he did okay for his first game back. I didn't really hear his name called too much. So overall, the secondary, I would say, I don't know. I I guess a C- because they seem to do okay, kind of a bend but don't break scheme. But at the end, we did give up a couple of big plays. But we just have to do better, man. You know, Steven Nelson, meh. Darius Slay. He was okay, I guess. I think he had a nice PBU at one point in the game, but you know it's tough. And linebackers, you get an F. You get an absolute F. I forgot about that. So F for the linebackers, D minus for the for the D line, and the secondary as a whole. I'll give him a C minus. So you know that's not a good grade for the defense. Jonathan Gannon's got to do better. He's got to get this unit ready to play at an NFL level. And I'm just hoping that you know next week we can put a complete game together on both sides of the ball. I really thought the offense carried this one. And overall, look, man, I'm happy. I am proud of this team. I'm fully supporting Jalen Hurts on the record, fully supporting Nick Sirianni. Get rid of that stupid-ass visor and those highlighters. You look stupid. I mean, for real, the media is talking about it. And I said that earlier. Like, it's just don't eh, just don't, don't do. Don't do, you know? But, yeah, I'm hype. I hope you guys like this recap. You don't have to watch the game now. You don't need to watch the highlights. I'm your guy, Rob Brant. This is for the boys. We're out.
1: We are back. Shout out to Bougie Bob. Uh, love the takes, man. I think you're spot on with everything you said there. Uh, we're not going to dive into it too much because you already had a lot of things to say, but I think Hurts, you know, I said last week he needed to prove me, you know, prove himself to me in this fan base that he can lead this team. And I think he looked sharp. He looked good. A lot of things didn't go our way, but especially on the defensive side, we did not look good. But Hurts is impressing me, um, and I just want to keep seeing that growth from him the rest of the
0: way. We're a Jalen Hurts podcast, and we will continue to be a Jalen Hurts podcast. Hey, if your name is starts with a J, and you are a young and a
1: quarterback, we there's a good chance we like what you're doing. But what we're going to do to close this thing off, um, something new, hopefully we can get instituted here. We're going to start looking ahead to next week. Not a deep dive, but just a little bit. Um, each of our favorite games That we can look to in Week Five of the NFL, Dylan. What are you looking forward to most, matchup-wise, for next week? I know there's a couple big ones out there.
0: Well, I picked uh, three. I picked two just for storyline purpose uh, purposes, and the other one that I picked was uh, simply just because of entertainment purposes. The entertainment purpose was actually at the top of the list for obviously entertainment reasons. And that Sunday night football between the Bills playing the Kansas City Chiefs at oh, yeah. Kansas City. That was the top of my list as well, my friend. Both teams, bro, are coming off 40-point games, and they already know they're going to see each other again later. You know, we talked about teams as far as the Rams and the Arizona playing for seeding implications. This pretty much can determine the one or two seed in the AFC You know, uh, we won't won't get too deep into this, but that's one of the ones I'm excited about. The second one I'm excited about uh, is actually Thursday night football, and it's Seattle against the L.A. Rams. Uh, Rams are coming off a little bit of a shocking loss, and Seattle's coming off of a shocking win. I feel like uh, once the nation sees how much of a better coach that Sean McVay is over Pete Carroll, my take will only just get louder. And my last game was uh, we already kind of talked about it earlier in the pod. It's a Jets and Falcons, Uh, not only because it's over the pond, but it's also just because it's the build up, build off uh, momentum game for the Jets to come in to face a um, not too great of an opponent. That's really just still kind of coming into their own. I feel like the uh, people over in London can possibly even see a shootout. It's going to be fun to watch. Really early in the morning, but you know what? It's worth it to get up, pour yourself a cup of coffee to really enjoy a really good show. Those are the games that I've just kind of really circled as far as the ones I wanted to talk about tonight.
1: Yeah, man, I love the selection. Like I said, I think there's a big, a good slate of games next week. Very exciting matchups. Like I said, Bills, Chiefs, top of my list. The Bills have been hot. Like you said, both teams just put up huge numbers this week. And the crazy thing And really the only note that I'll get into with the Bills is they're really doing it. They're putting up all these points. And Stephon Diggs has one touchdown on the year, if I'm not mistaken. That's impressive. They look pretty damn good. Josh Allen's back to, he kind of had a weird start to the year, but he's back to being his old self. And I'm very excited to see two gunslingers have uh, one of those old Western showdowns uh, out in Kansas City. And then the other one, similar to you, you picked an NFC West matchup, and I'm going to do the same thing. Niners at Arizona. We talked a lot about Arizona and the 49ers in this podcast, but you got Trey Lance's hopeful first start. I'm assuming Jimmy G is out for this matchup and that's why I have it circled. I cannot wait to see Trey Lance just go out there, do his thing and see what Shanahan's really all about with this kid, why they took him third overall. And I'm excited to see if the Arizona Cardinals can go five and zero, keep up their pace as being the only undefeated team in the NFL and, yeah, man, it's an exciting one. It's an exciting week, and um, man, I just love football. This is so fun. It's fun talking about it. It's fun watching it, and it's fun sometimes winning in fantasy football. Man, I can't wait for next week.
0: It's definitely going to be a good week. I'm excited. Uh, I'm even more excited for uh, Rob and I. We're gonna. Oh, you kind of already touched about going to Memphis. Uh, I'll also be going as well. We're going to be visiting uh, a good friend of ours that's going to be coming in from California for his birthday. Uh, we're going to have what's called a Sunday fun day and where we just get together, we watch all the games together, we break it down. It's going to be a lot of fun, and Justin, and I, man, I'm already excited. Uh, <laughs> I've already been looking at betting lines as well, so we'll, we'll probably have to just get into that on the, uh, the group text here after oh, a couple of absolutely. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely, man. You know we'll be we'll be throwing the money around here or there, little bets, sprinkling some cash all over the place, but man, Dylan, it was a fun podcast. It was the the hosting duties, it's different. It's weird. I like when Bougie Bob's in here kinda keeping us straight, but it was a fun one. Rob's gonna be back with us next week, so I'm thrilled about that to get his uh get his Rob Rant takes back in here with us, not separate. So uh man, if that's all you got, that's all I got.
0: Uh, yeah, that's uh, mostly all I got. I uh, just wanted uh, one last uh, thing. Um, I've told already a few of the listeners, but, um, you know, we're, we're officially, you know, back on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Uh, as I searched this morning, uh, we're one of the most uh, frequent searched podcasts and liked here recently. So we're already gaining a few, you know, subscribers. Uh, we're just encouraging everyone to, you know, like, comment, subscribe tell two friends so that they can tell two friends, you know, listen to us, tell us what you think. Even if you think we suck, you know, tell us why you think we suck. And even if you just listen in every week to figure out why we're wrong, Hey, we really appreciate you listening and we can, and we, and we really appreciate your support. Absolutely, man. Um, Like Dylan said,
1: tell two friends to have them tell two friends, spread the good word. We're trying to build a brand here. We're trying to, we're trying to spread positive vibes, positive NFL talk, and, you know, just feedback, good or bad. We love to hear it. And, yeah, we look forward to a long season um, and just growing in our following base. So, Dylan, it's been a pleasure, man. I can't course, wait till next was week. a
0: pleasure as well, Mr. Stanley. Go Birds. Who that?